everybody. Welcome to this week's Learning the Tropes. I'm Erin. And I'm Clayton. And I'm your roommate, Salvo Veteran. And I'm the Virgin. And we're your hosts. Hi, Clayton. Hey. How's it going? Good. I'm in a closet. Nice. <laughs> I'm testing out uh, doing the record in a closet because there is construction outside. I know. That's New York. There's construction everywhere always. Yep. And it's just going to look like the same old crap. <laughs> always. Yeah. I'm in my little office, but I have pillows in front of me. I have a brand new microphone bought with Patreon money. So look at me just reinvesting in my craft. We're, we're paying our bills. We're buying microphones. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. And I just went away this past weekend. It was absolutely gorgeous. Oh, yes. You were in Sedona. Yeah. I went to Sedona for a wedding. And the wedding was absolutely beautiful. But all of Sedona was absolutely gorgeous. And it was so, like, peaceful and calming. And I just, like, walked out around the canyon. I was like, oh, God, this is living, huh? I saw pics. They were very cool looking. Yeah. We stayed at, like, the fanciest resort ever because, you know, it's a wedding, so you kind of have to stay wherever they tell you to stay. Um, and we did get, like, wedding rates and stuff. But it was schmancy. And Pat kept saying to me, babe, we need to have money so we can come back here. And I'm like, I know. But it was uh, not, it was fun to be, like, out in a pool and stuff in October. Oh, I know. I soaking up all the sun I could get. Yeah. Well, and I started reading. Um, I'd never read Edith Wharton before. And so I started reading The House of Mirth. Guys, Edith is really good at writing. Really? Do you think you could get your quote onto a book jacket? Uh, let me, I'll call up somebody at Penguin and just be like, I don't, th- does, do people know that she's very talented? It's legitimately like laugh out loud funny. Aaron, Aaron from it's Learning so the witty. Trope says, Whoa, who knew? Who knew? Nobody's been telling me this information. It is fun. I don't know how I, I just missed her, but I mean, yeah, she's fantastic. Oh, that's cool. The The one that I always, and this isn't that old, but everybody says you got to read Confeder- Confederacy of Dunces. Uh-huh. And I think I've tried to start that book several times and it just has never taken. So maybe I do at some point need to read that, but... Who knows? I feel like that's such like a college guy book. That's what it feels like. It feels like a book, no offense, but everybody who listens to this is a, a massive reader. So we're not talking to anybody right. who listens to this, but it's a it seems like a book for people who don't read books. Yeah. That's what it feels like. But you know what? I don't want to judge because I haven't read it. Right. And there, and this is also going to piss people off, but I think people know I'm not like an Austin fan. And I think my thought was like, I've read Pride and Prejudice and it was just, it wasn't it for me. And like we say a lot of times in this podcast, it is it for other people. So like, I get it. It's, it's a me problem. But I think for some reason, I just always put Edith Wharton and Jane Austen together in my mind. Is it just because they are two women writers from around the same century, <laughs> opposite sides of the same century? Yes, that's not great. But it's, I don't know, for some reason, like her, Edith's, it, she just feels much more like alive. Mm-hmm. And it feels almost like contemporary, um, the way that she writes and her observations. And yeah, I was underlining also like half the book, just sitting in the hot tub underlining <laughs> 
Oh, that's so <laughs> great. When you have a book that you just are like, I need to, I need to mark this up. This is so good. Yeah. I'm. Are you somebody who marks up books? Rarely. Oh. I rarely do. I. I there's something about defacing a book that I'm not a big fan of, so that's why I don't do it. But mm-hmm. there are some times where I'll be like, oh, I got to remember this. I definitely need to remember this segment of this book or this specific wording. I mean, you know, the book that we just read, there's a few things in here that I thought, oh, wow, I really should just underline this. And then I didn't, and so I forgot about them. But yeah. I'll try to jog my memory while we're talking about it. Yeah, right. Well, I, yeah, I love deface, like, not, I don't think it's Because I love defacing books. I love defacing books. No, I mean, I like writing. I always, any book that I read, I write on the title page, my name, where I was when I started the book, and the date. Oh, that's cool. It, just so that I have sort of an idea of wh- where I was when I read it the first time. And there's something I, like, if I read a friend's book and they've, like, underlined it or written the margins, I love it because it's, like, not only are you enjoying a book that somebody else enjoys, and I think there's not like a more intimate experience than somebody giving you a book that they love. Absolutely. And then seeing, oh, this is what sparked for them. I just love it. And I'm pen pals with um, Anna Carey. And Anna, if you are listening, I promise you I have a letter coming to you soon. <laughs> I've gotten very behind in my correspondence. Uh, she's a wonderful author. Um, she writes a lot of sort of YA novels about historical figures or historical events, rather. And then she has um, fictional figures within them. The Boldness of Betty is the book I'm looking at right now. So I wrote her and I was like, what are your thoughts on it? Because you're an author and you should have strong thoughts. And she said she loved it when she saw people who had marked up their books because it meant that they loved them. So That's so true. Maybe I should start doing that because you saying that really does does show how yeah it is such an intimate thing and i do love when i buy a used book when i find dog-eared pages or underlines or scribblings in the margins as long as they're Mm -hmm. not the scribblings of a madman (laughs) or like you know lists for for groceries and things which are also kind of interesting too because i'm interested in what people buy at the grocery store so i guess it's never not interesting (laughs) But that's so true. Yeah, it's it is like a, a a view into somebody's heart and mind in a way yeah. that is unique. So yeah, maybe I should just start defacing my books like you. We have to come up for a better word than defacing because I don't love that makes it seems like I'm just ripping out pages or something. Va- vandalizing like under. <laughs> No, it's my book. I don't go into a bookstore and just do that to other copies of the book. Oh, I, I do, do that. To my book. Oh yeah, I do that. Oh, you should see my Daisy, my copy of Daisy Jones. It is rough stuff, but I'll never part with it. And now it's signed, so haha. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, and so I guess that's my swoon up top. <laughs> but that's what I did this weekend. Celebrated love. Caitlin and Danny are married, and I'm so happy. And I was so happy to be able to be there. And and Sedona's beautiful. We had I had a few people, a few listeners, message me saying like, "Welcome to their state." And I felt very welcome. People in Arizona are very kind. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. If yeah. Uh, Welcome if you're uh, an Arizona listener, specifically from Sedona. Mm-hmm. You live in a beautiful place. Yeah. And also, email us if you, what, if you 
underline if you do those things with your books. Because, you know, a lot of people, though, read on Kindle, so I'm sure they highlight yeah. segments, but it's not the same. I, I yeah. highlight. I do highlight on my Kindle, but I just I don't know where they go and I never look at them. So it's kind of useless. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we have a few more patron shout outs. You, you were really trying to find some way to elegantly into get into that. I, I saw that and I was thinking, too, and I couldn't come up with anything. <laughs> Listen, sometimes you just have to move things forward. And we are. Yes. And thank you for doing uh- that. Yeah. Well, thank you to all of our patrons. You guys have been wonderful. The response has been nothing short of shocking. (laughs) I appreciate it so much that so many of you are um, willing and interested in supporting us. And it really means a lot. Yeah. And it continues to surprise us. I always think this is the last one. It's got to be. This is the last person. Uh It's got to be. And then we'll get another person. And it's and it's 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 it is very nice. But we want to shout out these next ten Patreons, patrons. I always do it. I'm just gonna keep doing it, guys. <laughs> um, but let's start with Kathy Anderson. Thank you for your support. Um, and thank you to Chai. Chai messaged us too that she is a new romance reader. Um, so we're so excited that you found us and that you're sort of on a similar journey to Caitlin. I mean, to Caitlin, to Clayton. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and then Isabella Peterson, thank you so much for your support. And then Lada. And then Claudia C., thank you for your support. Rachel P. Laura Duggan. Parithma um, Yadanapudi. Good job. Again, if we do mispronounce your name, part of this tier is that we will give you another shout out. But I think you yes. did a very good job there, Aaron. Well, let's see. She's the one or they're the ones who are going to tell us how we did. But, yeah, hopefully um, it's a beautiful name and hopefully I didn't um, mess it up. But, yeah, if you want to send us a little voice note with how to pronounce your name, we will 100 percent redo it. Absolutely. Then Tracy Brown. And then Elizabeth Dupree. Yeah. Thank you all for joining again. Like we said, we're going to have some we, – we keep saying this, but we're definitely – we have plans. We're, we, you know, yeah. Aaron was in L.A. and she was in Sedona. I've always been here. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's really just more about how I can – me and uh, Aaron can connect and do some fun stuff for the holidays. And mm-hmm. it's coming. So you guys have been super patient and – this we're gonna try and really blow up this Patreon and and make it awesome. So thank you for for your early support. You're gonna be able to say, "I knew it when." <laughs> um. All right. So let's jump into our book this week. So Clayton, do you want to tell them what we read? We read again the magic by Lisa Klepus, and it is Wallflower's book zero. Yeah, it's a prequel. So she wrote this after she wrote the Wallflower series, which I find very interesting. Yeah, so we have we have two covers, right? Do you want to judge these covers? Yes. So we have the first cover, um, and it is Aileen. It, it looks like she's like wearing a just a corset, and she has a gold shawl or something wrapped around her. It's it's fine. I, don't I like mean, it. it looks. Yeah, I don't like it either. It's not it's not the worst cover we've seen, but it just isn't it. 
And then we have the 2015, which I think the 2015, all of the wallflowers were reissued with just like women in beautiful dresses. Remember when they were first issued, it was all like the landscapes. Yeah, it was like gazebos and stuff. Yeah. So this time, I think this cover was probably done to sort of match those. And I think it's an amazing cover. That blue. The blue dress cover is phenomenal. Yeah. And her hugging that that fabric to her Mm -hmm. body is so an Aline thing to do. Yeah. She's because she's ashamed of a certain part of her body, which we'll get to. But yeah, but her just like the coy smile on her face too. I just love. I think it's one of the most beautiful covers. Yes, I do. I do love, love that, love that cover. And I have that cover in physical form. I read this book as a paperback. And what was your experience of reading this as a paperback as opposed to because uh, mostly it's Kindle. You know, it's it's better. Yeah, it just is. Like I love Kindle. Because of how I used to be the guy who carried seven books with them everywhere. And mm-hmm. now I can carry two physical books, two real books, and then my Kindle. So it's it's been become very helpful. But there's just nothing better than moving those pages, feeling the texture, smelling it. And I just read faster I feel like I read faster in physical books, and I think I absorb better. Yeah. There's something about a screen, even though I have a paper white, there's just a barrier there for me. I, I do, you know, you were talking earlier about how you write down in your books where you where you read them and, and all that stuff. I, being in a place and having a physical book with you there's just something about it that does cement you in that place where mm-hmm. reading your Kindle doesn't do the same thing. Yes, I agree. I felt that way when I was in L.A. I went to a restaurant by myself and was reading a book, Molly Shannon's memoir. Oh, yes. Great book. So good. On my Kindle and or on my, like, the Kindle app on my phone. And I was like, I do wish I had a physical copy because it just looks like I'm also just, like, on my phone. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah. But, you know. Anyway. So, th- well, I'm happy that you were able to have that experience with this one. And, you know, maybe one day New York, the greatest city in the world, will get a romance bookstore and we will be able to have our books in physical form. And then we'll be able to do live shows. Yes. If anyone wants to move to New York and open a romance-only bookstore and then also host our live shows, we would so appreciate it. We're not going to. And then we could have a little area of the store that it was books that we've reviewed. Yes. That'd be so cute. Both of us worked retail for a very long time and neither of us are going back, but I really support one of you in doing this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, (laughs) you know what? I'd work at that bookstore. Couple days a week, but you don't want to run that bookstore. No, no, no. We all know. Go back to I can't remember. It was a very early episode. My bookstore, my bookstore would be rarely open, mm-hmm. and I would be able to open anytime I want, close it anytime I want, depending on how I'm feeling and the general vibe of the customers. <laughs> 
And when it's open, it's open 24 hours, but it could go stretches of days just being closed because I don't feel like it. Right. So it'd be one of or those things on where vacation or something. social media would have to come into play where I would have somebody who would tweet and say, guess who's in a good mood? It's open. Come down. But then some people would maybe show up and, and it'd already be closed. Yeah, because somebody would have said something wrong to and you somebody and would. like actually – yeah, just set me off. But that's that would be my bookstore. So I don't think a romance-centric bookstore would be able to run under that model. No, already it's a bit niche. And then I think adding to it just just wildly unpredictable uh, hours, I think it would be tough. Absolutely. So anyway, um, let's get to this any book. Any Clayton, what was this book about? This book was about, is it Aileen? Yeah, that's what I say. Okay. We're going to go with it. Aileen Marston, who is a rich girl who fell in love with John McKenna, known as McKenna, who was a stable boy. And then he became a he was trained to be a footman. They fall in love when they're in their teens and. Aline's dad finds out about it, sends sends McKenna away. And so years later, McKenna comes back having gone to America. He's a successful guy working with Gideon Shaw. They come back to where the Marstons live and to Stony Stony Cross Park. Stony Cross Park, right. Stony Cross Park. They come back to Stony Cross Park. And she has had an accident uh, in the time between that. And so she she is not showing her legs because her legs got burnt. And McKenna comes back seeking revenge for her sending him away because she did say, I don't want to see you. You were just a lark lying to him because otherwise her father would have ruined his life. So she had to mm-hmm. lie and break his heart. He comes back looking for revenge, but he's not. I mean, he, he's going to fall in love. We all know this. So that happens. And then there is also a secondary romance between Livia, who is Aline's sister, and Gideon Shah, who is a, who is a drunkard. Mm-hmm. And they have a very interesting romance, which we'll get to. But... This book was oh, – we're going to ask me how uh, what I thought of this book and I'm going to say that it was great because it's Lisa Klippis and of course it's great. And it's a Wallflowers book, so of course it's great. Okay. End of episode. So I won't ask then. <laughs> don't even ask. I don't know I mean, why you would. It's a – well, it's a prequel to the Wallflowers because it is Marcus um, – is the brother of Aileen and Livia. And he, of course, is the hero of It Happened When Autumn. But also the Wallflowers book kicks off at hit, at Stony Cross Park at a party that he is throwing. And his two sisters are absent. And this book did make me want to reread that book to see if, like, if they're mentioned at all or anything. Yes, because I, I grew to love Marcus... He's a little mm-hmm. bit more controlling here than I like of his sister's uh, lives. But, of course, he's just worried about them. But yeah. it ends up being okay. He makes the right decision at the end. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, he wants his sisters to be happy. 
and and him kind of trying to throw a wrench doesn't really do much other than really propel our two heroines to go after their men. Well, and also I think, you know, Marcus is living under the specter of his father who was, it seems to be, like a very cruel, overbearing man. Yes, mean who, dude. Yeah, mean dad, who is not Livia's biological father. Mm-mm. And so he treated her differently. So I think it's tough for Marcus because he has had no no person in his life to show him like, here's how you really act like a man. Like, here's how you really take care of the people around you. So he is like a little bit fumbling in that, like he knows his father did it wrong, but I think he does not understand how to do it right. And I think from his point of view, it's like, if your little sister is starting to go after this guy that you know is kind of like a drunk and a wastrel, you'd be like, oh, I don't want this to happen. That makes sense. <laughs> and then if your other sister is dating this guy who you think is going to just break her heart, then you're also like, okay, well, I don't want that either. Oh, yeah. So I don't feel like Marcus, I feel like he acts always in a way that is like very appropriate and in line with his his character and, and also like still trying to do the right thing because ultimately then when Livia like really wants to be with Shaw, he doesn't stand in her way. And the same when Aileen, you know, he, he's the one that kind of goes to her at the end and like makes, makes that happen because he understands like how, you know, as he says, is like his sister's happiness is the most important thing in his, in the world to him. So yeah, I just made me fall in love with Marcus even more. Yeah. And, and when, when we say Gideon is a drunk or a drunkard, obviously that's the terminology in the book. But when he's in the cups, he he'll lock himself in a room for like three days. Right. So this isn't your oh, well. He drinks too much uh, and he's embarrassing in public. He secludes himself and goes on benders. This is like very very seriously bad behavior, and so. Mm-hmm. That is somebody to worry about if you get involved with them. That doesn't mean, obviously, and I guess we can talk about this because it is a romance novel and I completely understand why Livia would make the decision she did and, you know, him being able to kind of, spoiler alert, overcome it or at least take that six months apart and show up looking clean and sober Mm-hmm. Whether or not that's really actually realistic, whether you should, because addiction is is nasty and difficult to deal with, and to quit something or fight that addiction because of somebody else could can be kind of dangerous. But I think that's the thing, like that's what Livia says basically, where she's like, "You can't do this." For me. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to do this because this is something you need to do. And I do think Shaw is kind of at the end of his rope with the drinking. It's not like he's having a good time with it. No. So, I, you know, and obviously, like, addiction and recovery is a is a very complex thing. And I don't think that this sort of... Um, you know, this is <laughs> no addiction story is going to be exemplary of all addiction stories because I think addiction is very unique to each person and sort of how you overcome that addiction can also be fairly unique. So there's no one size fits all. But I didn't feel like it rang untrue as a possibility because it's like, you know, Gideon 
I think he has a lot of guilt because his older brother was supposed to take over the family and he kind of was a kid that nobody really paid much attention to. Everyone thought was kind of a joke that now he's the heir. He doesn't really feel comfortable there and he doesn't feel supported in his family at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so not that he would necessarily be doing this just for Livia just because he like loves her. But I think it's the idea of like, oh, there are other things to live for. And that includes Livia, certainly, and the family that they'll probably build together. But it it didn't ring false to me that this would be possible. No, I didn't think it rang false. I just think that it it's 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 complicated. I do think Lisa does a really good job of mm-hmm. not making it seem like falling in love is a magic pill that's going to keep you from your vices. A hundred percent. Yeah, I think she's so very clear with that. Yeah. She, he, Gideon Shaw isn't saved by love necessarily, but I think it's the way... And, like, listen, Lisa Claypest is a master at her craft. <laughs> love her. She's, she's you know, on a different level. And I think that it, it does the best thing that romances do, where it's, it's not that Livia comes along and by virtue of him loving her, every problem is solved. But it is those two people bumping up against each other that really changes each of them but allows each of them to make a big change within themselves. They're... In a way, yeah. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that's it. But their meet... Well, how, their meet cute, how they meet... Uh-huh. ...is so great <laughs> that she's just si- shipping... Sh- shipping. She's just sipping on a drink, dancing... He comes out and sees her and immediately is thinking, I want to know everything about her. Has she ever climbed a tree? Like all these thoughts go through his head that he's never thought about a woman before. And she's in and then she doesn't tell him who she is. It's mysterious. And I just thought, wow, what a great meetup between mm-hmm. two characters. And it's not our main characters. I think, you know, this book has talked a lot about the secondary romance. Like, I would say that this is a book that is just like a two-handed romance. I think that it's it's about, you know, they're both given such equal weight. Mm-hmm. And, like, technically, Livia and Gideon are definitely the second, the second romance. Aileen and McKenna are the primary. But I love this book that it does it's like a two for one and then it shows both of them and i and i'm so happy because like normally with secondary romances and in romance you don't tend to see them being intimate together or a lot of the romance and we got the entire story with the two of them and we end on them and i i love that so much yeah and i think the reason we maybe don't see that as often is because it's hard enough to make one love story compelling imagine doing two at the same time And I think Lisa definitely pulls that off for me, that both of them were compelling. I thought equally, but in different Mm -hmm. ways. Now, I guess there's a there's people who don't like Aline. Because I you go because this was on the show notes and I think we need to bring this up because. I honestly didn't find her to be dislikable. I I I kind of understood 
the way she felt. But I think a lot of people thought she was a little bit too vain. Yeah. Well, I think Aileen is such an interesting character for so many reasons. But I think part of it is is her vanity and is her... I, I don't know. I think I, I see a lot that people think that she is unlikable, which I think is a unfair thing to get lobbed at a lot of women in general, but also women heroines of stories. But she is, like, very flawed in in a few ways that made her seem really, really real. Because she is somebody who is, like, undeniably beautiful. And so much of her life, her entire life, has been put on just her beauty. And that's sort of the only asset that she has going for her. That'll mean that she marries well. Um, you know, that's it. And so she gets disfigured in, uh, like, a freak kitchen accident. And her legs are burned. Um and scarred. And so because of this, this is the thing that keeps her and McKenna apart, kind of unbeknownst to McKenna until the very end of the book, um, is her vanity and her fear that once he sees her scars, he'll no longer be attracted to her. And either he'll leave, which will be painful, or he'll stay and sort of pity her, which is seems like an equally horrific um possibility so um I, I I don't know I just find it really interesting and a lot of times it's not the heroine that kind of keeps people apart it, it can be the hero um and so just having this flipped on its uh on its head like this I just found it to be very interesting yeah I, I mean I I do think there's varying ideas as to whether or not What, what do I want to say here? I think you either have her sort of mindset or you don't. And if mm-hmm. you are somebody who who is hung up on your appearance, because it's very difficult in society forever. I mean, even back in this time, especially now, just the expectations for people's bodies is crazy. And there is a lot of body positivity movements going forward and and happening now, which are great, but they all stem from the fact that we are all so messed up about what we look like, you know? So it's trying to fix something that is deeply ingrained in us. And I just, you know, it, it resonated deeply with me. And I feel like sometimes I think I'm too vain for my mm-hmm. own good because of how harsh I am about my appearance and I just I just recognize that in her and it's it, yeah. it's not out of wanting people to pity uh, me and the same thing with her it's just how you feel it's just something in your head that you have to always combat and vanity makes it seem like there's just something about it which makes it seem selfish and it's more of like you just not seeing your body for for the way it is, you know, like things look yeah. worse to you than they look to other people. And that's hard to explain to somebody who doesn't have that thought to the extreme level that you do. Well, also, I, I mean, I think just going off the other characters reactions to her legs, they do seem to be pretty rough mm-hmm. to look at. Um. 
but I think there's also something to if 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 you've been told your whole life that your only value is in your body and in your beauty and then that goes away that's so much harder than somebody who kind of was always of average looks and then it, it's not something that's commodified in the same way so it's almost harder you know when it, sometimes when you see like someone a woman who is very beautiful when she was young and then kind of gets obsessed with like plastic surgery and all these things trying to hold on to the thing mm-hmm. because they kind of feel that's where their value lies, which is obviously like, you know, not true. So that's how I felt about her where it's like, yeah, she could get out of her own way. I don't think it's, I don't think it's selfishness. I think it's like a serious block within herself that she just, because ultimately we, as the audience know, McKenna does not give a shit what her legs look like. No, and he's angry Um, when he realizes that's what's been keeping them apart. He's that's an amazing mad. Scene. I love that scene where he you think he's going to be sympathetic and well, he is sympathetic, but he's going to be coddling in a way or say it's so beautiful. What he says is, how dare you let something like this keep us apart? The mm-hmm. agony I felt, <clears throat> pardon me, the agony that I felt because I thought that I couldn't be with you and you didn't want me. <clears throat> Jeez. <clears throat> Sorry, must be something in this closet. <laughs> Are you getting a little verklempt? I'm verklempt, yes. Uh, talk amongst yourselves. You remember that, right? Yeah. Coffee talk. <laughs> Spot on impersonation, by the way. <laughs> and, I was transported. Yeah, thank you so much. So the the yeah the the anger he feels for her keeping this making this the thing that kept them apart which i mean in a way is like it was big to her so i understand it but also you know he was mad because she thought he was so his love wouldn't overcome of of physical scarring and he said, I told you I love you forever. I I love you no matter what. And it's foolish to think that anything like this would keep me from loving you. Because he also says, if, if something happened to me, would your love be any less? And she said, well, of course not. And I think that's the thing that we always do to ourselves, right? Where we feel these ways mm-hmm. about ourselves and then we talk to somebody who cares about us and they say, well, would you – stop loving me or being friends with me or, or if this was the the shoes on the other foot. And of course you say, no. Yeah. Hopefully if you're a good friend, you know, if you care about them. Well, yeah. And I think that, I mean, that scene is so perfect because he's so like the reason he loves her is not because of just because of her physicality. Like obviously he thinks she's beautiful. Um, but it's it goes so much deeper than that. And I think, you know, it's a good revelation for Aileen to just be like, listen, I love you for who you are as a person and not necessarily just what you look at. But just to backtrack to the scene kind of before that, or uh, every scene in this book is a good scene. And if you haven't read this book yet and you're at, for some reason, on the fence, read it. It is so good. Every page is gold. Um but there is this scene, you know, 
McKenna before he um, leaves Stony Cross Park for good. He basically, he proposes this to Aileen and it's so heartbreaking and he really lays himself out on the line. And it is so like cruel of Aileen to not just tell him the truth then. I understand why, but this whole, I mean, this book is nothing but angst. So if you don't like angst, I guess that's the only reason you might not like it. But if you like angst, come over here. Um, yeah, McKenna, McKenna is angsty because he has ugh. had a rough life. He, It's a rough time for him. And so he is, you know, he's like, you don't have to love me. I love you enough for the both of us. If you could just try to find something in me to love. It is so heartbreaking. She pushes him away because she's terrified that he won't love her legs. And then, you know, Marcus kind of sees how heartbroken Aileen is. And he asked to see her legs for the first time ever, which it, it was another really powerful scene because for Marcus, he had felt a responsibility for his sisters and he couldn't take this pain away from his sister. And that's so hard when somebody you love is in pain to you can't do anything about it. And so he never wanted to look at her legs because it, he felt like it reminded him of a time when he couldn't help her. Mm-hmm. Um but then he does, and she sort of asks a question, like, if you loved a woman and her legs were like this, and he, like, cuts her off. And he says, no, it would not change anything. Yeah. And that's sort of what get, And then he's like, uh, I already rented the carriage, and we're going to get McKenna. Come on. <laughs> Which is so fun. Yeah, because she had used the same blow-off that she had used when he was younger, where she mm-hmm. said, we're different stations, and things like that where, you know, he had built himself up from nothing to become a rich man in, in New York City and comes back and for her to throw it in his face that he wasn't born with blue blood mm-hmm. was just so devastating. Because, you know, he comes back seeking revenge, but we know in his heart he just wants that love. He, he came back thinking he was going to be this guy who was going to tear her heart out. And instead, as soon as he saw her, he couldn't help but want to be with her, truly want to be with her. Yeah. Because originally he shows up and he's like, I'm just going to fuck you and leave. Mm -hmm. And she's like, don't threaten me with a good time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Works for me. (laughs) Oh, God, can we talk about, too, when she asks him to write a poem? (laughs) <laughs> and then he doesn't do it, but he has the the, the singer serenade her. But then mm-hmm. later when he realizes that Livia snitched on them when she was a little mm-hmm. kid and she was jealous because her older sister was spending so much time with him and not her, she told the dad and that's how the dad found out. And when yeah. he finds out that she pushed him away for his own good – he sends all these all these flowers to her, but he also writes this poem, and she reads the poem, mm-hmm. and she says, it's awful, <laughs> 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 because it is not good. It's not horrible, right. but it's not great poetry, and I loved that, because it is, he's not a poet, if, if it was amazingly poetic, it wouldn't be his character, it would come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she clutches it to her heart and loves it, even though it's awful. 
she it just it that's just the kind of stuff that gets me with the with with these books and and Lisa just the kind of stuff that she does like that is so awesome mm-hmm yeah that was I loved that too yeah it's hard to think of a thing that I didn't like about this book to be honest because like we said before the secondary romance I was invested. It didn't feel like mm-hmm. we're treading water or we're setting something up for another book or whatever. It felt both of them were complete. They both got their happy endings at the end, which was great. Mm-hmm. And I just loved I just loved the the sex scenes were really hot. Mm-hmm. And you know, when he when he takes her in the woods and and oh that was amazing. I yeah. And also though, let's talk about. Uh, also, yeah, I what? do think that it it does it sh- it does a really good job of showing how sex can be really passionate in the moment and then mm-hmm. afterwards gross. <laughs> Expand on that. Well, just because, you know, she she goes and she wants to take a bath and she her legs are hurting her and all these things. And I think that's to show that she since she hasn't shown her complete self to him, that sex mm-hmm. was – it was passionate and there was love there, but it wasn't complete. So there was awkwardness and uncomfortability afterwards that you sometimes have after you have sex with somebody, you know? Yes, right. So, like, in the moment, you're feeling, like, amazing and sexy and everything, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait. Yeah, I really need I to shower. <laughs> and not anything because I, of the person. Yeah. Like, not, you know, not because it's like, oh, you know, I had sex with a gross person. It's just the the actual physicality of sex is there is, like, things involved that can be gross an hour after. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like you can't think um, you can't think too much about sex in the moment because then you will just get grossed out. You just have to let yourself, you know, over to the what's happening in the moment. Mm -hmm. But we haven't talked about Lord Sandridge yet, who is Aileen's um, gay best friend. Yes. (laughs) Who she they are kind of beards for each other. Aileen, once McKenna left, has decided that she just basically never wants to be with anybody. Um, and and um, Lord Sandridge is a, a closeted man, and so he's not going to be able to um, marry who uh, he wants to marry. Be with the person he loves in public anyway. So they're like, well, if we just pretend we're dating, nobody will bother us. And then he proposes as well. Yes, and he proposes in a way that's like, this is open-ended. Mm-hmm. If you ever get in a pinch and need to marry somebody, I'm here. Adam was, that's mm-hmm. his first name, was such a great friend to her. Yeah. I loved how, and she even says this to him, I love that you don't give me advice. And he says, it <laughs> never works. Nobody ever takes anybody's right. advice. So she she would say, I think I want to do this thing about McKenna. And he said, do what you think is right. Okay, cool. Do it. I'm not going to keep right. you from doing things. And when she said that, I was like, that is such a great friend. Because mm-hmm. – and I think a lot of times 
a lot of people do this, but not to be stereotypical, but men want to give advice. Men yeah. want to fix. Men want to solve the problem. A lot of it is because they don't want to hear about this anymore. That's one of the main reasons men want to fix problems is because they just want to be able to sit and stare at a wall and not have to answer any questions. So if they feel like they That's, can okay. completely fix something, mm-hmm. then they'll just never have to deal with it ever again. And if someday they can just fix everything, man, it's just good staring at a wall time. Now, I think that I, you know, l- taking a cue from Adam, I'm really going to try to be more like that. Because most people, when they talk to you, just want to be heard. Yeah. They want to be heard. They want their feelings out so they can work out the thing they want to do and the thing that's best for them by vocalizing. I mean, that's why people go to therapy. Yes. So I'd recommend therapy to people. I'd recommend that overburdening your friends constantly. But that doesn't mean don't talk to your friends because your friends obviously want to make sure that everything's okay and they want to know about your life. So Mm -hmm. I want to take cues from Adam and make sure to listen and not try to advise people. Because number one, I don't have – you know, I'm not an expert in in anything really. And uh, so anything that I say would not necessarily be bad advice, but it wouldn't be the – it wouldn't be great advice I don't think unless it's something Mm -hmm. so specific to me. Like if somebody asked about Tourette's, right? If somebody said, I have a friend who has Tourette's, can you explain that to me? Then I'd be like, oh, okay, I can explain this to them. But but that right. maybe, you know, other if you know, want to ask me about box office or something, like other than those two things, oh, and SNL casts and, and sketches, other than those things. Right, because you, you have so few opinions on things, really. Well, no, I have opinions on everything, and that's the problem, is that <laughs> it should be more just about listening. And I think Adam Adam is a great friend for doing that, and I just want to learn from him. Well, also, I think it's Adam is wonderful because he is just such a safe place for Aileen to land, you know, where he's like, listen – if the worst case scenario is that you and McKenna don't end up together, we could still have fun. Yes. And that's really nice. Like sometimes that's what you want is just a friend to just be like, listen, no matter what, you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And we'll, and we'll still be together. So, you know, I loved that she had that in him and, um, and I thought that was wonderful. But he was the one that basically said to her, like, you know, you could just have sex in a way that, like, he, he doesn't see your legs. Yeah. And she's like, huh. <laughs> Interesting. And they end up going, uh, McKenna and Aileen go to a fair. And that was such a wonderful scene, too, because it was, like, a little bit of a them being back to their childhood and, and kind of recreating this thing that they did when they were younger. I mean, they weren't children when he went away. I think they were like 18 and 19, yeah. but young. And, you know, and then she sort of, it's so funny because he keeps trying to be menacing towards her. Like, I'm going to have sex with you. I know. And she's like, I want that. Cool. I want that. I think that's a great idea. Cause even when they were like teenagers fooling around, she was like, just fuck me, dude. It's fine. And he was like, no, I can't. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so then she brings him into the woods and they end up having sex up against a tree, which does not sound great. I mean, it was great for them. And that's sort of when he realizes also that she was a virgin. Yes. He was so upset because he just thought you someone must have deflowered you. And now I'm here taking your virginity and I want revenge, but I really love you. There's so many mixed up things going on. Plus, she had eaten a loaf of, of gingerbread that was as big as her head, I guess, right before that. And that's never comfortable to have sex right after you eat a big loaf of gingerbread. <laughs> but I well, I think the thing, too, is like it's so confusing for him because like all he knows is that she broke his heart and sent him away because she wanted to be with somebody of his own class. And so he comes back and he's like, OK, well, you destroyed me because you wanted this thing why don't you have this yeah, thing you never did it's it. so confusing to him yeah he's he's getting man mckenna he's he he's getting you know pulled around emotionally you know he was an apprentice to a a guy that cracked his skull god so crazy back then it's so, i mean there's people who are abused now obviously but i think if if my boss ever cracked my skull open, I could be looking at a, a nice little pay. I would never have to work again, in other words. Yeah. Back then, you're just lucky you have your life after something like that happens. Yeah. But I thought that was such a, you know, and that sort of walk back to to the estate, the two of them sort of after ha- this big revelation has happened, I thought that was so interesting and so real, too. Mm-hmm. You know, of after this like big burst of emotion, like there's kind of nothing left to say. And then you just have to be like kind of quiet with each other. Yeah. Um, But I loved it. And then the other person was Mrs. Fairchild, which thank God we had her. Oh, she's so great. And she she's she's now rich. McKenna gave her a bunch of stock in his company that would have been worth about five thousand dollars and continued to rise. And, you know, she sent him five pounds so he could go to to America and he wanted to pay her back. And it's funny when she said, so there's no real money in this envelope? <laughs> He's like, it's better than money. It stocks. And thus began, became, uh, began a big uh, swindle. <laughs> yeah. That is now where we live. It's like, hey, I got something even better. What about the idea of money? <laughs> I know that there's not enough gold to back up actual money. Let's not even think about that. But here's something that's not real money but could be. What if it's a little piece of a company that you don't work at? Yes. Um, no, well, just her as a – it's so nice because sometimes these books can get to be so dark mm-hmm. and these – Children have absolutely nothing in the world. And it's like, it's too heartbreaking. But that they had this woman who like clearly genuinely loved Aileen and McKenna in a very maternal, real way and really took care of McKenna. And he felt that sort of love to her was so wonderful. And she kind of never wanted to leave Aileen. I think particularly after the accident, she really felt a responsibility for her then. Yeah. Um, But also the scene after... Aileen turns down McKenna's proposal and he walks into her office and she just closes the door. And then this like giant man just weeps in the arms of this like woman who kind of raised him. And it's like, oh, God, you never leave that 
wanting that maternal figure. You never leave that wanting that level of comfort. Yeah, I just as soon as as soon as you started talking about her, I was thinking of that scene and getting a little bit Mm -hmm. emotional because just him never having that or like having that with her. We don't we never really saw it. But like someone like him who was trying to be strong and, and say, I, I lost my soul and I don't have a heart. And then just to break down and cry on the shoulder of, 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 of a, a woman like that, like, you know, a woman that's not even your mother, it's, but she's obviously mm-hmm. maternal and, and, and gave him as much as she could. It was just devastating. Yeah. It was, that was like, that was a, a beautiful scene. And then you learn kind of in the, at the end, in a letter that Aileen has written to Livia, that Miss Fairchild is now in New York and she's like living for it and she loves yeah. it. So I'm happy. Yeah, they all they all um, got their they all got their happy ending because mm-hmm. McKenna doesn't care about Aileen's scars. They're living it up in New York City. Gideon and Livia are at the end together in London, right? Or does he come back to Stony Brook? I mean, Stony uh, Cross Park. He comes back to Stony Cross Park, but she says he, like, looks better. And, you know, because he basically said, I want to stay in London for you, but I need to do this on my own for six months. And if at the end of six months I'm able to stay sober, I'll come for you. Yeah, he said. So we see the moment that they sort of have come for each other. But, like. Gideon and Livia together is so... Because, like, I think, you know, Aileen and McKenna together, pretty much every time we see them together, it's just angst-filled longing and all this stuff. Like, Gideon and Livia are so playful and so much fun together. Yes. Like, I could read a book that's just their, like, mundane lives just because I think they're both such interesting characters and the way that they play off of each other is phenomenal. And so, like, yeah, in that scene at the end, she's sitting by a window, like, going through her letters, and she sees him get out of the carriage, and he, like, points to her, and he does this, like, pantomime of, like, his heart, you know, grabbing his chest and his heart and all these things, and it's like they have a whole conversation through the window. And they're just so perfect together. I I love them so much. And, you know, the thing about them, the reason why I think they can be lighter with each other is they don't have that shared past, they don't have yes. all that baggage. They have baggage, but it's new baggage, which is easier to deal with <laughs> than baggage that you've carried along with yourself that is related to the person that you're trying to get back with. And so mm-hmm. that's why I think, you know, yeah, he he drinks a lot and she has she was she had a scandal happen which was she was with a guy a gonna marry him he died, but then she ended up being pregnant and got uh, – did she lose the baby? Yeah, and she had a miscarriage. Yeah. So after he died, they were not married. Yes. But they were having sex because Livia is a little horn dog after my own heart. Yes. Um, and that was scandalizing. They were having sex. Yeah, and so she had uh, – yeah, so she was pregnant, and then she told confided in a friend that she had lost the baby, mm-hmm. and somebody – Snitched. Um, snitched on her. Oh, can't snitch. No snitches. Everybody out there, stop snitching. Come on. Right. Look um, at yourself. Look, look, look at yourself and think about the stuff you don't want people to snitch about when you think about snitching on someone else. Yes. You know? 
no, it was a very cruel thing to do to somebody who's also like in mourning because it seems like she really loved Amberly too. Yes, it wasn't a arranged thing or anything. So, yeah, if everyone could just be not stopping so fucking uptight about sex, it'd be great. I know. I mean, you're you're preaching to the choir here. <laughs> um, I wish I wasn't so yeah. uptight about everything. You're so uptight. I'm so wound tight. You are like a top. I know. I'm trying to bust out of this closet. I just can't. I'm just stuck in this closet. Ugh. <laughs> I mean, you're better than you were. I must say. Thank you. I'll be good by the time I'm too old for it to matter. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm looking forward to. It's just retirement. You just being chill. Wait for when I'm 80. I'm going to be what I should have been when I was 20. (laughs) Only incapable of Um, most physical activities. Yeah. Who knows, though? People are... People can do stuff. Yeah, I could have a robot body. Anyway. All right. Is that every... What? Nothing. Okay. Is is that everything about the book? I mean, we could talk about the book forever, but we have so many Goodreads lists. I do kind of want to... I feel like those are also going to jump off some talking. Yes, things. absolutely. Let's do it. Let's do it. So this was on 12 pages of Goodreads lists. Obviously, I didn't do them all. I picked some from the first few pages, but it's on every, it's on every list, basically. Um, so to start, uh, favorite historical romance novel. Definitely. I could see that. I think this is one of my favorites for sure. I, this is, I read this so early in reading romance. I think I was looking because like rich hero, no, rich heroine, poor hero is a trope that I've loved forever. Yes. So I think I was looking for that and came across this book. And this is sort of what led me, I think this might've been my first clay pass actually. Oh, wow. That's a good one to start with. I know. I mean, it really, she got me hooked for life. Um, I've loved you for years. Oh yes. That's big. Best second chance romance. Yes, I see that. Best romances with spinsters, wallflowers, or old maids. Yes, because she is a spinster. They're both spinsters, really, right? Livia and and Aline. Well, Aileen is 31. So she's also like a lot older than most heroines, which I do appreciate because so many of these heroines are like 20. Yeah. And it's hard to, you know, really relate to a 20-year-old. But I feel like 31 is is better. And then I don't think Livia is necessarily on the shelf, but she's kind of exiled from society because of the scandal. So she just, like, doesn't participate. Mm-hmm. Um, best rogue rake romance books. Now, okay. So is, is McKenna a rogue or a rake? No. I don't think so. No. I mean, he may have slept with other women and not felt anything, but he didn't seem like the kind of guy, and he wasn't described as the kind of guy who would just go around gallivanting or having that aim of conquering as many women as he can. And Agreed. I don't think Gideon yeah. is either. No, neither of them. I mean, like, I would say if, if one of them is, I would say maybe Gideon is a rogue. Mm-hmm. But... Not even really. I feel like there's a certain vibe to rakes and rogues and they don't know. I mean, maybe maybe Gideon because he likes to party and you can I bet he flirts with a lot of women and that's sort of like, you know, we see him with Livia and he's completely changed, but possibly Gideon, but definitely not McKenna with, at yeah, all. Yeah, with those, with rogues, rakes, people like that, scoundrels, I feel like their main... One of their main driving forces and aims is to conquer women. 
And that is right. not the defining characteristics of either of those characters, at least in this book. Correct. Yeah. I so agree. take it off the list. Next is Vengeance is Mine. Yeah, he's aiming for vengeance, but it doesn't happen. No. Villain as romantic love interest. Yeah, I mean, but we knew he wasn't a true villain. Well, I think that's the thing, too. It's like he really thinks he thinks he's doing something and he thinks he's really like going to surprise a lot of people. And I don't think anyone really believes that he's going to be a bad guy. I think everyone is kind of like, sure, McKenna. Yeah, you're really going to. Yeah, you're going to be tough. I know. Everybody, we believe everybody think, knows he's a kitten. Yeah. When it comes to her, at Fresh, the very least. Totally. Yeah. Fresh scent of pining oh, hero. Oh, we, we love it. We love it. And he is. And he, he yep. pines. Great list. Great <laughs> list. I want, I want to meet the person who what? came up with that list. If, if, you're, if you listen to this podcast, and there's a chance that you do, please email us and say that. But be honest. If you didn't do it, don't lie because that's cruel. But if you uh, honestly yeah. came up with that list, please email us. I just want to say hi. I just want to thank you. It's such good, such a great list name in a world of of horrible list names. If we're being honest, mm-hmm. of unimaginative, nonsensical, poorly like grammatically mm-hmm. incorrect lists, you are a shining beam of light. So I want to thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, tortured heroes of historical romance. Yes, he is tortured. Why, yes. Yeah, the poor thing. God. Uh, servant heroes, heroines, and romance. Mm-hmm. He was a servant. Best reconciliation romance book. Yes. This was, I, I love their reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Bad boys meet the virgins. Not a bad boy. She's no. a virgin. I was, he's like a very good boy. He's a very good boy, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, intense and angsty romance. God, yes. Yes, yes. But also, you know, it's that, it's a Kleypas magic where you don't feel it. Oh, I feel I, it. I mean, but you don't feel it in a way that's negative. Like, it's heavy no. and angsty, but it's not like, oh my gosh, these people, I, I, I don't want to mm-hmm. be around them. They're toxic. It's, it's just, she just pulls it off. Yeah. Hot, steamy, central historical romance book. Yes, this gets yes. hot and steamy. The sex was great in this book. Mm-hmm. Wrong side of the tracks. Yes. I guess so. I mean, yeah. you know, he's a servant, so it's more wrong side of the tracks, I guess. But we don't, we don't, it's not like we see him running down alleyways and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, pickpocketing and stuff. So I, 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 no. I wouldn't say it's on this list. I would say take it off this list. Wrong, uh, no, sorry, tearjerker, romance novels that jerk the tears right out of you. Yeah, I would say the closest thing to the tears jerking out of me is when he collapses uh, with mm-hmm. with the the uh, maid. With Mrs. Fairchild. Mrs. Fairchild. Uh, that, that really, that did get to me. Yeah. Best fiction with disfigured slash disabled leads. Yeah, I mean, she's scarred, definitely, so that would go under disfigured. Mm-hmm. The one and only, yes. Uh, oh, I absolutely. Think, we yeah. know that from the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Favorite Dukeless historical romances? Yes. Nobody's a Duke. 
Because Claypass loves a self-made American coming over. She really does. And meeting an English woman. And I love it for her, too. And I'll read that book as many times as she wants. Or not even necessarily America, but just sort of like a self-made. She likes like an industry tycoon. Um, yeah. Yeah. She's real Anne Rand Somebody... type. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, God. Take that back right now. Um, somebody called McKenna a slumlord, and I'm like, that seems unfair. We don't know that it's slums necessarily that he's building. People do need housing, so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but they're probably slums. Then, what? They're probably slums, but still. Yeah, listen, yeah. Everything mm-hmm. was a slum the back then. Listen, I have a slumlord now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, I, in general, I'm, you know, not going to be a fan of a landlord, but uh, I don't know. I feel like I, I'll give him a break. Yeah. Um, love in the merchant class or working class? Yeah. Cry tearjerker romances. Yeah, we already got that. Kind of same thing. Petite heroine, big hero. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have loved you for years. Yes, Definitely. As You Wish, employee-employer romance novels. Uh-huh. Exes reunite, or just people reunite. Yep. Yeah, they were exes. Well, I, yeah, I guess they were exes. Anyway, so that is a sampling of the Goodreads. So many. We would be here all day. Yeah. Um. So, Clayton, what are your tropes? Scarred heroine. Second chance mm-hmm. romance. Secondary, strong secondary romance. A rich heroine, poor hero. People like Americans in foreign lands. Yeah. And, you know, him, McKenna becoming an American is really interesting. Like him taking Mm -hmm. over that identity and coming back is pretty interesting. Uh, I would say bad dad because Mm -hmm. I think the Marstons had bad dads. Had a bad dad. Right. And close siblings, because Livia and uh, McKenna get really, really, I mean, sorry, Livia and Aline get really, really close. Mm-hmm. Especially after, you know, the bad stuff happens to both of them. Yeah. But those are my tropes. Aaron, what are your tropes? So I have second chance romance, poor, poor hero, rich heroine. Love in the working class, strong secondary romance, star-crossed lovers, surprise virgin, which Claypest does love a surprise virgin reveal. <laughs> um, and so do I, to be quite frank. I do love that moment when the the dick meets resistance and everyone's shocked. Mm-hmm. House parties, heroines with scars, a self-made hero. Um, alcoholic hero. I know that Shaw isn't technically the hero of the book, but I'm just continuing to say that he's the hero. He's the hero of his story. Yeah. Um, outdoor sex, vain heroine, good brothers, because Marcus is a great brother. Yes. Marcus reminds me of um, Benedict from Nine Rules to Break While Romancing a Rake, which um, Sarah McLean has told us repeatedly will never have his own book. Come Rude. on. Um, Faded Mates, because uh, I feel like they are like destined to be together in a way that you know every romance novel you read you want those two people to be together but this feels like such a 
primal urge that these people cannot function alone. They would never be happy. In a way with... that like can be toxic, but I think is really beautiful in this Yeah, book. they'll never be happy with anybody else. And, and they've shown that. No. Or, yeah, no, when they're not together, they're so much less than when they, they just need to be together. Yeah. So twin flame is what they call it on the TikTok. Oh. Um, prequel. So this is a prequel to the Wallflower series. Spencer Heroin. I'm going to fuck you, which is a, 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 there might be a more elegant name for this trope, but this, I, when men, a lot of times it's men who come and they're like, I'm going to have sex with you. I'm going to have sex with you when you ask me to do it, or I'm going to have sex with you before this, our time together is over or something. Um, this sort of not threat, non-threat. Well, speaking of threatening with a good time, maybe is what we could call it. Speaking of which, we did not say whether we'd fuck them or not. Uh, or let me do my last one and then we'll do that. Okay. Love between the classes. That's it. Great. Aaron, would you fuck them? All of them. So I think we should do McKenna, Aileen, Gideon, and Livia. Of course, all of them. My answer is a, a blanket yes. Yes. <laughs> of course. Every single one of them. They all seem sexy. Yeah, 100%. And, and Featherbottom. Is her name Featherbottom? What's her name? Fair. Featherbottom? Fair. fair what's... Fairchild. Fairchild. I throw a bone that way, too. <laughs> Get in that soaps closet like and just I, do some business. She gets down. You can tell. Yep. Read in between the lines. You know they get it. Um. So, yeah. So, you basically... Uh, and Mark. I mean, Marcus. I already was Everybody in this Marcus. book gets a bone. I, we, we'll bone anyone. Except for Shaw's sister. She seemed I was awful. just going to say, Susan was her name. Get, yeah, get out of here. Oof. Get out. Get out of here. Um, okay. And all right. So that's everything. I mean, it's so like, I feel like we haven't said enough, but we've talked so long about this book. I mean, it is a perfection. Um, it's one of my favorite romance novels of all time. I think this is also a, what a great romance to suggest to people who are new to romance because it is so packed mm-hmm. and it's, and it's such a primary romance of just like these two people want to be together. They are torn apart by by circumstances outside of their control and then they work to get back together. So it's oh, just chef's kiss. It's perfect. No extraneous I love so bullshit. No, every it's so good. It's so good. Every every side story or every other thing happening is so directly about one of the two main love stories. And yeah, it's great. Nice. Well, um, yeah. So, Clayton, what has you swooning this week? Well, what has me swooning is a podcast by Dave Holmes. Dave Holmes was an MTV VJ. He's also a writer. He writes for, I believe it's Esquire. Gee, I think it's Esquire. I believe I read a lot of his articles, but I, I, I think it's Esquire. If it's not, I'll, I'll change that and edit it out. But funny guy, great writer. I read his book. He put out a, a memoir that was really good. He has a he has a podcast about called Waiting for Impact. And it is about there is a video for Boys to Men, their first video, Motown Philly. In that video, there is a split second cameo by a band called Sudden Impact, a singing group that never appeared anywhere else. He couldn't find any information. And it's him searching for this band and it's great because he's funny it's about 90s music and 
it's all about success and, you know, having it and not having it and how that affects people's lives. He intertwines some of his bi- uh, autobiographical information in there too, which is always interesting. So love it. It's called Waiting for Impact. You can find it where you find all podcasts, where you find us. So check it out. Erin, mm-hmm. what has you swooning? Yeah, I love Dave Holmes too. I downloaded that podcast. I started listening to it last night. It's He's so yes. good. And yeah, what has me swooning? I mean, I did already talk about the House of Mirth, which I am not done with. <laughs> I just kind of started. But I mean, Edith Wharton is amazing. I'll just run through like things. I'm like Insecure is back, which is I've swoon I've swooned about um Insecure before, but I it's just such a wonderful show and is so good and the relationship between Issa and Molly is so interesting and complex and fantastic and I just you don't see a representation of complex female friendship like you do on that show. I can't think of anywhere else. And it is done so well. Um, And this is the last season, which is like heartbreaking. Um, But I just, uh, yeah, it's my favorite show. If for some reason you have not watched any Insecure, start at the beginning. I think every season is absolutely fantastic. But I think this season, I mean, so far we're only three episodes in, has been really, has been everything that I want it to be. So, um, yeah. So I guess Insecure. Great. So, Aaron, where, where can they find us? So don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. You guys are wonderful at doing all of those things um, and reviewing. If you haven't reviewed it, and just take a few minutes to do so. It really helps us a lot. It helps people find us. Um, and we just really, really appreciate it. Um, we are on Twitter at Learning Tropes, on Instagram at Learning the Tropes. We have our Facebook troop. If you want to join us over on Facebook, we have merch, which is linked below. Um, you can always email us at learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com. Um, and then finally, we have our Patreon, which is new. We shouted you guys out at the beginning. We are so appreciative of anybody who has signed up. We have right now, we're going through British Bake Off. British Baking Show um, with my uh, boyfriend Chiggs and also <laughs> Paul Hollywood. Um, we're having a lot of fun over there and I think we're going to start putting up some other fun stuff for you guys. Um, so if you are interested in joining the Patreon, now is a great time to do it. Um, yeah, is, did I forget anything? No, I think that's it. Cool. Alright guys, well we will be next week back next week letting you know what book we're reading but until then happy reading happy reading bye bye